Hello and welcome to the Shakti Hour podcast on Ramdas's Be Here Now Network. I'm your host, Melanie Moser, and today we are launching a special series on sacred music and the feminine voice. My guest, Judith Berkson, is an ECM recording artist, composer, and cantor. She and I met many years ago at Zebulon in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and I was so taken by her singing and performing that shortly after I became her student in both piano and voice. I have always been connected to spirit through music, from growing up in the Lutheran church and, and singing the hymns, to discovering folk music and pop music on my own, and now beginning to explore more deeply the sacred bhajans and kirtan of bhakti yoga. Judith grew up in a musical family, and her father was also a cantor. I would get chills like listening to my dad, which was strange because he was very authoritative and like mean. <laughs> but when he sang, you know, I was, I would just get the chills like completely. I had never been to synagogue, so I was very intrigued to learn more about the cantorial tradition and the Jewish service. Judith even graciously demonstrated some of the modes and motifs from the Sabbath. Check this out. You can go like... For this special sacred music series, I've asked each of my guests to bring in a piece of music for us to listen to. Judith shared something from a 19th century female cantor named Sophie Kurtzer. You'll be able to find links to the full song and as well as Judith's music at shaktisacredmusic.com and also on the Shakti Hour page at beherenownetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Shakti Hour, on Instagram, and please do remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes and leave us a positive review. I hope that you will very much enjoy this sacred music series. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to and support the Shakti Hour. And now here, Lady Cantor, Sophie Kurtzer. So I'm here uh, in the studio today with my lovely dear friend, Judith Bergson, who is a composer, musician, and cantor, and who was my piano and voice teacher for, what was it, like a year? Did we spend like a year or so doing that? Um, yeah. It probably was probably eight eight years ago, yeah. around that time, yeah. seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And um, I, I thought of you immediately when this idea came to mind because I had this inkling that you had this other life <laughs> that I'd heard you talk about as being a cantor, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I didn't know um, what that had to do with the work you were doing now. But um, I respect and, and 
appreciate you so much as a musician and a, and a teacher, so I wanted to share your story with the listeners. So she went into the studio in the 20s? Yeah, yeah. I don't know that much about her. I mean, there really isn't a lot of documentation, but um, she recorded about, I don't know, maybe like 10 songs, 78s. So I don't know exactly how she managed all that. but And managed it just because were women not doing that kind of singing at that time? Um, well, in like traditional, I guess, really observant, you know, Jewish tradition, uh, women are not allowed to, to uh, sing the chants and and and, and uh, recite the prayers or lead the prayers. So um, she wouldn't have done this in a a synagogue setting at all. She would never be allowed to do that. But I don't know if around when when she was if there are other women doing it. But they would give concerts and people would sort of follow them and and be into it. But so they took it like outside of the sacred hold of the synagogue, and then they were allowed to do it as like a performance yeah. more, mm-hmm. but as not to lead as a spiritual like guide or no, yeah. not allowed. No, hmm. and um, I suppose if it were all women, all women service, they could. But hmm. for instance, like Sophie Kurtzer, you know, she just didn't just appear out of nowhere. Like I think her brother and her brother-in-law and maybe her her father or like there were men in her life who were cantors and so it was like part of the family just fabric like singing and she probably learned it like that and so the singing is so stylized is that her is that just her her singing I mean all the ornaments the like it's so um, complex yes yes it's complex it's um it's like a modal tradition, so there are these scales that correspond with different um, times of the day, different holidays, you know, similar to maybe like Indian raga or something like that, where it's like you use the mode to um, for these different specific times, and then within that, you can improvise within that mode. And that improvised element, is it meant to be musical, or is it meant to be spiritual? When you're improvising, it's the cantor is really singing these prayers on behalf of the whole congregation. So, you know, depending on how the, the cantor is feeling, um, what's going on in the world, like what's happening in the synagogue, who's there, like what's happening. So it's all filtered, and that's why there's this uh, improvised element, you know, where... And, and people would understand that and value that. Like, if the cantor is able to really communicate mm. what they were feeling and reach them or touch them, like, that was what gave them value. It's improvised melodically, but the words are the same, or are the words also, is there also a, a, a motif of words that you get to draw from? No, the words are very much set, but I suppose the words really take on different meanings depending on how you're singing them and mm-hmm. how you're phrasing them and how so yeah it's all interpretive and mm-hmm. you know I was um, looking into this actually um, this past year and I was reading that um, it's like famous uh, the Maharil this like a uh, yeah, rabbinic sage of the middle ages basically said that 
the music and the text are like inseparable. Mm. I can hear the cantor singing, and I almost, I don't know, you, it's so together. You can hear the cantor, but you almost know what they're saying anyway, like because of the just the way it's going, the theme or what's happening. You might not even catch everything that they're saying, but you, it's just so together. I think, mm. yeah. The sound and the word are one. Are one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And transmuted through spirit, through the individual yes. spirit. Yeah, and feeding off of what uh-huh. you know, what they're feeling from the congregation, and and that's the state that you're in. I get the sense when I'm either listening or when I'm doing it myself, it's like palpable, you know. But uh, like you're a medium. Yeah, I, I think there's something like that. And that drew you in. Like I know, you know, a little bit about your your past. I mean, similar to Sophie. <laughs> In a way, from a family of people involved in music, I don't know if your family was involved in music in spirituality or how that how that happened for yeah, you. Yeah, um, well, my dad's a cantor, so oh. I grew up in the um, and you know singing with him and performing with him in my family and being dragged to like every single cantorial concert you know <laughs> ever. But um, you know that kind of singing, I, I felt when I would hear my dad do that very emotional. The voice is cracking. There's this intensity. It, it sounds very old. It doesn't sound necessarily like, you know, like something that's light and current. You know, it's like very heavy. And I, I thought, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I, that's something I'll never do. You know, I never want to do that. <laughs> right. And the crazy thing is, is just like one day as a young adult, I was doing music. And I just, if something was there, like that sound came out. Uh, it just came out, and it sounded like that, and um, and it's like one of the only things that I do musically that I just I, it's just so natural. Like I don't really even have to think; it just it just comes out. And I don't know if that's because I've heard it so much, and of course I work at it, but but I it's just I really it's just effortless in some ways, and I don't understand it. So, um, oh, tell me about that moment, like when it came out. I think maybe. I was in music school, and at first I don't think I was very eager to share it because I just thought, like, nobody would really care about it in some weird way. Like, my dad said, oh, you know, there's this uh, synagogue near Boston, and uh, the cantor just died. I think you should go there. <laughs> and, uh, and, and A male cantor. Yeah, a like, male cantor. Yeah. Died like old, of old yeah, age. Of old yeah. age, yeah. yeah. I think you should go there and try to get higher there. And I had like all, no experience except from growing up in the tradition. So they, they tested me out. They had me sing, and they're like, okay, you're hired. And uh, so I said, great. I'm like, now what? You know, I mean... And so I, that summer I went and studied with my father like pretty intensely and we went over everything. And I, I, I kind of knew a lot of stuff anyway, but um, he really studied it. And uh, yeah, I started doing that uh, job. And uh, um, and it's a job. I mean, you're calling it a job. like. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, well. It sounds a bit like a calling to me. I mean, it, it sounds like a calling and it feels like it was in your lineage as it was in Sophie's. And then it like, was called out of you and then it just happened to be (laughs) that this cantor died and here's this synagogue for you to step into yeah I I I think that that may be true and I think that's something that I 
sort of struggle with because like a lot of my uh, musical identity is about striving to learn and grow and push myself to challenge myself. This just seemed like, oh, that's just something that I do, you know. <laughs> that being said, when I do it and when I'm doing it, I'm transformed. Like, it's just, I, I'm completely inside of it and I, I love it and I, I feel very, like, it's very deep to me. But I, for so long, I felt like, well, no, you know, I didn't really tell people I did it because I didn't think people, A, would understand what it was what you're a religious leader like that's weird or uh you you're yeah you you're in a synagogue that's weird you know or you sing like that that's strange um you know I didn't I had a different identity outside so as I kept it really private care. but people like, you're saying like people would care but you're going and how many people yeah. are sitting there in the service like how many people are there with you that are participating with you in that like yeah yeah, they, they would be wonderful people. Oh, the best people. Like, and mm-hmm. and it's funny because when you're in a synagogue, at least when I was growing up, you know, there are the the cantor people and there are the rabbi people. The people that gravitate to the cantor, and the people that gravitate toward the towards the rabbi. This is just a generalization. It's not like totally hundred percent true, but there are people that just love the music, mm. and they that's how they experience the re- religion. And then there are people who are you know more about the teaching. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's not light fare. No, no. It's not it's not a it's not light and easy fare. I mean, it's really intense. Yeah. It's really and the what we listen to was that what's the context or what's the word what's the prayer mm. for? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, for that one it's particularly um intense time of year. I should say that like pieces like that so in a service you might have a a kind of more involved rendition like that and then it's followed by just kind of more plain chant like a more not plain chant like as in like the catholic because it's not never that chill but like it's more like kind of just phonating like on certain pitches and you're kind of going through the text faster and then you'll go to another big moment but um what's really interesting is like this so sophie kurtzer you know she's singing and if you listen to her, you know, if you first listen to her, you're like, is this a man or a woman? Like, you're not, I mean, we know she's a woman, but I mean, it's kind of like this manly voice to me, I think. And a lot of these female cantors of the earliest, early 20th century, I mean, there could have been them in the 19th century. I don't know, uh, really. Uh, we know from the recordings. Anyway, they are sort of imitating the male voice. I mean, they really, they're not really singing like high soprano opera. They're singing in the male register and when I sing too I tend to sing in that register because to me there are now there are women cantors who sing coloratura and while it's it's extremely beautiful and they're gorgeous voices and it's moving it's just not totally moving to me in the same way for some reason like it doesn't sound as like the real thing unless like you're kind of in that register and I don't know what that means or anything, but but she goes of quite a span. I mean, in she, that piece, she does, she does. That's true. That's true. But if you were to look at, um, well, how she's singing, you know, it's kind of got a lot of mm-hmm. the resonant low. You know, mm-hmm. it's like tr- playing that up, mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of really dig that, and uh, and then try to do that too. Yeah. 
Is it something now that you hold as your own like spiritual practice? I've thought about that, and um, it's just like I don't even know if I have the language to describe exactly what it is, but it's... It's, it's, it's like also like a effortless spiritual practice. So it's like as soon as I'm singing the sound and I know that the sound is that sound and that sound, I can't even just, I can't say what, I can't say what it is, but I know the sound. I know when it's the sound and when it's not the sound. And when I'm doing that sound and, and in that space, I'm very connected to something. I think I actually like I'm transmitting through the sound like I feel like I'm in conversation with all the sounds before and all the voices that have done this before. I feel like it's passed it was passed down and I really feel connected to that lineage and I don't even I don't even there's no word there are no words. It's just that You said you, you were never going to do it. Like that was your idea. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about two things. One, if you have an early memory of that communal experience in witnessing your father or somebody else doing it. And two, how, it, how doing it has shifted your relationship with the Jewish faith. You know, I would get chills like listening to my dad, and uh, which was strange because he was very authoritative and like mean. <laughs> but when he's saying, you know, I was, I was like, I would just at times get the chills like completely. Um, and then when I went to hear concerts of other cantors, you know, similar. And then also, I mean, he also dragged me, you know, to watch opera, and it had a similar uh, kind of feeling. So I think I maybe had those feelings as I would think maybe a lot of people do. I'd well, you shared about getting chills, hearing your father and that being in contrast to maybe being in the home environment with him. And that could be kind of intriguing. I could see that being really intriguing. But then I was curious about how it has, how your relationship with the whole, with the Jewish faith has shifted as you've come into, over time, Mm -hmm. And as you've come into being in that role yourself. To be honest, I've been very conflicted about it, um, which is also why I've hesitated to, you know, there are, there are more official channels to go through. There are, there are accreditations in schools and like where my, my father went to the, the Jewish Theological Seminary here in New York. And I, I have, I never did that or, um, you know, or, or taking it as a full-time position and really, like, immersing myself in it, which I haven't, for reasons, I mean, I I like my freedom of being able to do other kinds of music, too. But uh, in general, like, I am conflicted about it. 
Um, and I've talked to my dad about it. I've talked to other cantors about it. Just like I feel um, that I am a spiritual person and I respect the, the religion. And I, there are many things that I do in my life that are rituals um, from the religion. But I'm not a religious person. And I don't think I ever could be a completely like the whole thing, you know, the whole nine yards. And so I sometimes wonder if it's hypocritical to be in a position of delivering the prayers in this faith, in this community, when I myself am not, you know, the, the pious, most pious, I, I mean that uh, religious person. And I've talked to people about it and... Um, and it's funny because uh, <laughs> I'm not, like, the only cantor that goes through this. In fact, like, very, I won't mention names, but, like, very famous cantors, like, I've seen them completely break the rules of the Sabbath and, like, do, you know, <laughs> crazy things. And I think it's just the nature of, well, it's the nature of being human. It's the nature of maybe being, if you're a musician type, you know, it's, you're kind of living maybe by different rules, you know, it's, it's, it's. You have your real own religion of music and art, and I feel like, it, and instead of the following the dogma of you know just your religious life, I mean certainly, definitely there are very very religious cantors, and but I've I've always like kind of yeah been conflicted about that, but um, it just so happens that many cantors are, are kind of had a, have a bad rap of sometimes not even following the rules. Like I've seen it and. And uh, <laughs> and I think it's about being, you know, a musician, an artist. You know, you just, you know, like one of the cantors like broke the rules. Like, look, I really want to play you this song, you know. And they played me it on on the Sabbath. You know, you're not supposed to do that. But it's like music, or you know, one of the rules is like you you can't play an instrument on the Sabbath. But to me, that's just insane. You know why? <laughs> that's like the best time when the day of rest. Like, I would love to play some music, but you're not supposed to create, and you're not supposed to make anything so but uh, I don't know if I'm going on on a tangent but well it's I mean I'm trying to it, there's so much to that parse out of that but I'm trying to sense into like like there's some freedom for Sophie mm-hmm. to have to just be able to go to the concert hall and not have to hold that seat in the synagogue right. but still be able to engage with that those modes and that that sound and the and the text in such a beautiful and personally authentic way. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's some, maybe there's some freedom in that and following in the lineage of your father's footsteps, maybe there's freedom in not going all the way. Yeah, and I've definitely yeah. certainly been straddling that. And uh, um, so for sure... You know, definitely. I think I'm just right now, like, just really figuring that out. Mm. Um, or I have been, but, you know, it's just... Um, yeah, in some ways, I think it, I, it has more power, like, outside, outside of the synagogue, because you can reach people who aren't going to be there, who aren't never going to come into a synagogue, so... And people who aren't Jewish and people who have never heard this music, so that's great like what could be better than that to like share it and um and 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 pass that that uh the, the 
the feeling, <laughs> you know. Mm. So, yeah, you're right. Like, I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but on the other hand, it's, like, completely designed for this dr- dramatic arc that is the ritual and the service. So it has, like, a beautiful place there when it has the space to do it. Just being in the synagogue, there are certain expectations. Um, there are certain there are certain things, uh, you know, practices, common practices. There's a, a certain, uh, I don't know, you, you can't totally be as experimental. And I think being outside of it, like doing a concert, then I can really experiment more and do kind of exactly what I want to do. Um, and and, and uh, do you have that same feeling of the sound and the, the ancestral lineage when you're doing it in a concert as you do in front of a congregation? Oh, yeah, yeah, the same, definitely mm. the same, because it's about, and it's also about the people that are there, so I'm I'm still feeding off of the people and, and feeling that connection. I, that's, that's like, essential. So to me, it's very similar, and I'm creating that. I actually am creating that, want to create that environment there as well, so um, I try to, to, to have that going in the concert, like, as if we were having a service. Like, I, I treat it like that. Because that's the only way it really works. Otherwise, it just doesn't sound right to me. So I have never been to synagogue. So explain to me how the arc of the, the service runs and how the cantor plays into that. So I'll just focus on, like, the Sabbath. On Saturday morning, the Sabbath morning, you start off with this group of um, songs and psalms, tehillim, the like preliminary prayers that are preparing you for this special day. So um, traditionally, it's a it's this major mode, but it has like a certain kind of motif that goes like. <clears throat> So prepares you for the next section, which is the actual morning prayer service. And on Shabbat, there's this special mode. So the mode changes to minor. It goes like this. So it's like got that kind of zone. That feels a bit mournful. It's in the middle of the morning. <laughs> so, somebody described like the Jewish service is like the Saturday morning service. It's like, okay, it's like three hours long, all in minor. Which is not totally true, but in a way, like, it's a lot of the modes are minor. A lot of the that prominent modes are in minor. Is that meant yeah. to evoke the feeling that minor evokes? Well, here, check it out. It, ha- it also has this major part. So you're like, okay, so it has that part. And then, but then you can also, part of it, check this out, you can go like, so you can kind of like lighten it up. I can mm-hmm. modulate into this region that's more majory, and then it goes back into the minory like very quickly. 
And when you're like really well versed in it, you know how to go quickly around in it, depending on what you're saying, depending on what you're doing. And that's what's like the beauty of it. And, and maybe it's minor because it signifies like, okay, so the major part, you know, gets you ready for this joyous day. But what, now we're going to, here's the crux of it. And it's like, it's the shochenad. It's like, it's this, it signifies this is Shabbat. Like, it's like a special one we don't do during the weekday. And maybe that's why it's just sort of prominent. Yeah, it's um, pulling you inward. Yeah, yeah. It's drawing you inward. Yeah. There is definitely major, in fact, s- certain groups of the Jewish community all around the world uh, favor different uh, modes. For instance, like the, this tradition we're talking about is Ashkenazic Eastern European tradition. So it's a very specific it, uh, group. It's, uh, it's like the Eastern, you know, more like Poland, Ukraine, like all of that, Russia, that side. It also has like the German influence too. But if you go to like Austria, actually, where I just was at, in Vienna, and you go to the synagogue there, there's this whole tradition of singing mostly in major. And maybe that reflects like there was actually more acceptance there. Or maybe they just favored that music because maybe in Germany major is more prominent and just like their surroundings. And certainly like several other music traditions, there's the Sephardic, which has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I mean, there are they have totally different scales. But here's what's the most fascinating part. Like in Eastern Europe, maybe they, there is more minor because, I mean, they were more oppressed. They were more poor. They were more pogroms. And they were longing more. It was like a sadder environment. It was like a cathartic thing to feel the sadness in their music, and it was important to them. I think I think for sure that might play into it. And also I think that like the way that we hear minor, the minor mode is very – it's probably very different from, let's say, like if you're in the Middle East – or Egypt, or like, you know, like a lot of the Middle Eastern musics also have minor, but I don't think that they view it in the same way. I think that the way we hear it might be different. Like, to them, it might actually be a very calming, regal, like, I don't know, spiritual mode where it's not really sad, you know, because a lot of there's a lot of minor in, in Middle Eastern, like Egypt, I'm trying to think where else, like all around. It's, it's a different just, expression of relationship with spirit. Yes. And with the land. Yes. And with the place. Yeah. yeah. It has and a different with, meaning. And the trials of the, of the place. So if you're having that experience in a desert, say, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily mournful, but it, it resonates in that space. You know, you wouldn't want to be singing absolute major scales in the middle of looking yeah. out on... <laughs> It wouldn't right. make any sense. You'd be insane. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you're in the forests of, like, Germany, you might, I don't know, you know. Like you feel more supported. And yeah. The, and the bird songs are there. Yeah. And they're mimicking that and all that stuff. Yeah. Who knows? Like, exactly. It's funny because so traditionally, uh, cantors are, have, have never really had the prominence that rabbis have had. Rabbis are extremely steeped in the in the words and the Torah and the prayers and, you know, extremely knowledgeable. But I think the cantor, like it was sort of a lowly position because uh, I think that the rabbis didn't really want to be bothered with the singing of the prayers. They wanted to focus all their energy with the study. In Judaism, I think, you know, it's really about study and learning and, and going to the text and really parsing it and and that's a beautiful thing to do. You know, you study a page of Talmud and you look at it and it's it's just, it's so deep. You get right into all these issues and every side is looked at and it's amazing. And it's like, it's, it's a spiritual experience. But then the music 
is um, yeah they they didn't want to spend time with the music and mm. you know that's like beneath them, but uh, it's definitely the way that I mostly relate to to the tradition, yeah, the music, yeah. How does the experience of sharing that and being in that flow compare to creating other music? I tend to want to um, have that kind of like communion feeling with a communal feeling. No matter what I'm doing, I, I want to feel like connected very intimately with the people that are there and with myself. Like, and that involves like being very vulnerable. Um, you know, making, exposing myself, or you know, like emotionally, and then so I think there's some connection there because I'm always looking for that. Whatever music is happening, I feel like I don't feel like I've really done something unless I feel that. Mm. Um, so I think it's it it trans it's the same kind of feeling. I'm also like gotten back into microtonal music, so that's like where I will sing notes in between the notes. I'm like very into exploring that. Have we talked about that? <laughs> I love it. Notes in between the notes. Yeah. That's like my favorite place. Yeah. yeah. I would love to be I there. I think that you would just <laughs> yeah. love this. And the, the microtonal thing. Um, so I, I studied that with my mentor, Joe Maneri, and um, really like um, like in my early 20s, like uh, really got um, well-versed in, in the singing of it. Just like in the past four years I've gone back in, into it and the, what's so interesting about singing um, singing microtonally is like I, I truly feel like it's another spiritual like uh, endeavor because you're like creating these harmonies that are functioning I don't know you're like hitting wavelengths that can be a like extremely like potent healing or even put you in a space where you're you know, I don't know, it's just not the normal, like a different kind of space. And I'm really interested in that, like being surrounded in Vibrationally? that space. Vibrationally? Vibrationally, yeah. Resonantly. Resonantly, Within absolutely. your body and, mm -hmm. with, and around you. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you're really creating that yourself. Yeah, with, your, with my own body. And then, like, I, again, I yeah. feel like it's resonating and, like, it's like this circle with other people. And I feel like it's creating these environments. Mm. Yeah, so I've been very much, like, into that. For myself, as well as like wanting other people to like experiencing experience it with me. I did want to also just say the thing that we said we were talking about out, outside, which was just how how moving it is for me to sit and have this conversation with you, having met and engaged with you musically in a completely different context, knowing that this is part of your your past and part of your upbringing. It's so. Um, you know, revealing, mind-blowing to me how steeped you are in this tradition and how much you've been holding the seat of whether or not you like the, I, the name, a spiritual leader through voice, you know, in, in synagogue for many years. And, and so, as I was saying, you know, part of why I kind of wanted to explore this whole topic was to bring some light to the vibrant spiritual lives of artists and, and musicians and people creating today and allow that to be a part of our, our consciousness exploration. You know, you don't just have to go 
to a yoga studio or to a synagogue to be having a spiritual experience and to allow us to share these traditions and these um, things that we were steeped in that still uh, move us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I've been having more of like the courage to do it like uh, publicly or with friends and sharing and because um, I have the personal relationship with people in the synagogue and that's very beautiful and personal and and uh, but no, yeah, some and but to invite that like more with a broader view of like all of my friends and all of the people close to me and people I don't know know yet. But um, yeah, and I think the reason why I'm having more courage is because I've I've sort of sorted out what it is that's going on, which is, I mean, not completely sorted it out, but so there's this thing that's going on, and like, um, uh, instead of saying like, why me, <laughs> you know, like why do I, it's more like I have to say that the tradition itself is like is completely in danger. It's like it's not really. For, for many, many reasons, um, the real uh, traditions are are disappearing very, very quickly. Like the majority, like what I'm talking about right now is like is not really the standard. What's happening mostly are there are people that are good singers or they, you know, or or they forgo the the modes and the scales for like more song based or more folk based or more whatever based like. So, um, you know, more like um, secular music and stuff like that, which is, you know, I totally understand. So this whole tradition is really disappearing um, for better, or for worse. And um, so I feel very responsible to to kind of keep it going in, in, the w- in any way that I can. But also because I tr- truly feel that like the sound of it, I can conversing with the previous, like all the people that came with all these voices and just like, f- I would like that to continue, uh, you know, and uh, I want to share like that, that past and like, and, and yeah, so, so it's like, it's become really important to me to, to study it and to, to keep going with it because it's, it's really disappearing. <sighs> yeah. And keeping that language alive, that language you know, of the heart and of sound mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is so the purity of the sound, the transmission of the yes. the vibration from your father to you and on through that is, is a whole other thing than, than learning a piece of music. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that, can, that comes across because I, I think um, once... I, I mean, I've heard, I've had people, you know, I've had responses where I think maybe they don't even know what's happening, but they're being like affected by it in some way, and uh, and I think it's because it has that richness of the like I'm not, it's not about me, it's never about me, it's like about s- these other people, this history, this past that it's not really about anything that has to do with me when I'm singing that music. It's just I'm just hoping that I can just do it well, and that's all I, I, I can. It will come out, and that's it. So, that's a really strange thing. I've never really said that. <laughs> well, any 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 great spiritual teacher or any great artist, that tends to be the truth of of their offering. There's a, a footage of Mick Jagger from the early '70s 
in in this interview backstage before he's about to go out on the stadium screaming like massive and this this british interviewer is is um kind of prodding him along and asking him these questions and trying to you know get him to be like a rock star you know and he asks him this question he says so mick you know what what is the the last thing you think before you go out on stage and he looks at the camera and he goes i better do a fucking good job <laughs> Which would totally, like, you know, totally cut off the idea of it being this ego maniac. Like, he knew he had to go out there and do it. Like, he had to give this thing. He had to, like, deliver. Yeah, that was, wow. Because, like, when when I think about him, that makes so much sense (laughs) when you see him perform. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. To be, like, available for that transmission, it can't be you. Like, it can't be the ego mind. It can't be self-conscious. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those places where, yeah, that's that falls away. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Judith. I really, oh this was such a treat for me to get to spend this time with you talking about this stuff in particular. And I feel like we could spend hours going deeper into it. And so I'm just super grateful that you took the time to do it and and to share that with me. And I can't wait to hear um, the new work that you're working on, and also I want to come to a service when you're being a cantor sometime oh, and, and experience that. that. So, You know, there was a time in my life when we, when we were really super close and we, we were working together on music, and it was like just a beautiful experience, like teaching and like learning together. And, um, yeah, you're a very special person to me, and I'm just so happy that you brought me into this amazing project that you're doing. I'm blown away that you even asked me, so thank you. (laughs) I feel the same way. (laughs) It's a spiritual connection. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. From Ram Dass to Sharon Salzberg, Be Here Now Network is home to over 17 amazing podcasts. But we can't do it without your continued support. Donate at BeHereNowNetwork.com slash fundraiser to receive an exclusive gift and help us continue to deliver over five fresh podcasts each week.